0: Hey, uh, welcome back to our show. My guest tonight is Jeremy Langell. Uh, <laughs> uh, you guys know Jeremy's got his master's and is done with all his coursework and working on his dissertation on his PhD in philosophy of religion. So he studied a lot of this. And I figured tonight there's one question that I want to kind of throw out and discuss in a little different way. We've just looked at how we believe the transmission of the Old Testament occurred and why we believe we could just adopt it into the canon. But what we didn't look at is, who wrote some of this? Now, we're not going to go into a book-by-book authorship or even the issues of dating from most of the books, but there's one thing that I think we can do, and that is since the Bible ascribes the Pentateuch to Moses, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible to Moses, it seems that we could take that and say, all right, let's examine who wrote the Pentateuch. So if our question tonight is, let's just kind of leave that as like, who wrote the Pentateuch? And I want to open that up and let Jeremy kind of give us his opinions. and Then I'll show you some of the pushback that I have. I'll start with the basic approach. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. That's my position. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> really
2: um, I think it might be beneficial to give a really short background as to why this is even a question. So, for the vast majority of Christian history, the fact that Moses wrote the Pentateuch or Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes and other books were uncontested. So, that was just what was accepted. It's really not until the last 200 years or so, 200, 300 years or so, that Christian scholarship has pushed back against that idea. So on the one hand, I want to say it's a relatively new phenomena that scholars say, wait a minute, did that person really write that and or, or not? So not that, that's, not that that's to discredit it necessarily, but just to give you some background as to why this is even a question, because for a long time it wasn't a question. You just accepted that. Again, just to give you some background, as we learned more about language, the question of authorship began to come up because what we what we began to realize is that uh with some books of the Bible, whether it's especially of the Hebrew Bible, that if we were just to, to look at the texts that we have of them, the documents that we have of them, they're they're written in languages that are not uh, ex- exclusively Hebrew or exclusively Aramaic, so this began to beg the question of all right if, if there are for example, in Ecclesiastes there are, are things called persian loan words there 's words that are borrowed from other sources. might this indicate that there 's a different author working on working on this text here, or might it just indicate that there 's a, a process of redaction where there is somebody there 's an editor who just saw this, uh, who took this out of an oral tradition or took it out of a, a written tradition or took it out of both traditions and then at some point, because of the circumstances surrounding them, wrote it down you know, and then attributed it to someone else. These are the types of questions that have started to come out over the last 200 years and part of that comes out of language because we've, we've learned more about these ancient languages and about how to interpret them. The other thing is there was a movement in biblical studies at least as it relates to the Torah and the Pentateuch. Well, what they tried to do is they took the first five books. It's called J-E-D-P theory. And what they tried to do is they tried to identify the sources from which these five books of the, uh, the Hebrew Bible came from or were developed out of. And so just an example, the P stands for priestly. So there was a, according to this theory, there was a priestly tradition by which an editor or an author sat down, and they would draw from this collection of other texts, this collection of other traditions. That theory is actually not, it's pretty much not worked with at all today. For a while it was the majority. But for a while, and that's why I want to bring up the historical point, because, you know, J-E-D-P, that was it. You know, we, we had it figured out, and we could, Moses didn't write it, and all the stuff they could say. Well... <laughs> that's that's not really the main theory anymore but it hasn't gone away like its influence its influence is still there when we talk about the new testament you'll see the same thing will come out when we talk about which gospel came first and q theory and all, all this other stuff so this this question in scholarship is there both in the hebrew bible and in new testament um, not to say that moses didn't in fact write it but to say that there are at least legitimate questions And this is um, where a lot of the the scholarship comes out of.
0: Some people refer to it also as a documentary hypothesis. That's another name for it. Probably the more majority way that it's kind of known. Same idea. It's kind of falling out of favor, but it hasn't fallen out completely. And it's replete. Like, you can look it up on the Internet. There's hundreds of sites that talk about it as the way to ultimately debunk the Bible. That's That's a different issue. But if that's true, let's take the Pentateuch, for example the fact that there is writing is not the obstacle. We know that writing existed. And a lot of literary critics who look at the Bible find that even though its content may be unique in terms of following one God and this covenant that kind of starts to develop through the Torah, its way of writing a covenantal story is not that unique from other stories that are being written by other civilizations. So I think there might be some basis to believe this kind of fits the genre, a writing style that's already going on. What's your view on how it came together? Specifically for the Pentateuch,
2: a lot of scholarship has centered around the idea that if you just look at the first five books, there are a lot of differences in terms of their content and in terms of where they're written. And most scholars will argue, I think, there's a pretty strong consensus that Deuteronomy is very late, post-exilic or maybe even during the exile. And that it was probably new at that point. In other words, some scholars will argue that Deuteronomy was a fresh, a new take. It was new. It wasn't that it had been transmitted and then written down during the exile, just before the exile. It was, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this new take on this. But I'm going to attribute it to this other tradition.
0: If Moses was writing, let's say, somewhere around 1200, 1400. <laughs> and so when you're talking about post exilic, you're talking about like 400. We're talking about, let's say, like a thousand year swing, probably more or less, somewhere in that neighborhood. But it, it's not like a few hundred years. We're talking about, it could be a thousand years difference from what's attributed to Moses. So are you saying Deuteronomy would be literally fresh, like somebody just wrote it, or has it been transmitted for? Long period of time orally, and then it finally gets written down. Like, how do you see that coming together? What do scholars think about that? Yeah,
2: there's a couple different ways. I think, even in when did Moses actually live? I mean, that's that's also controversial. You know, when was the Exodus? I don't know that really matters to this conversation, but somewhere between 13th and 15th century. But again, a lot of that just depends on how you date other things around it. Um, Specifically, when we're looking at something like Deuteronomy, scholars, based on Again, based on its literary differences from Leviticus, right? Some have attempted to argue that with all things considered, that this is most likely, even if it's not post-exilic, even if it's pre-exilic, this is most likely a recapitulation, but a new recapitulation of the law. It's not like it's different. It doesn't disagree. It's just not something that has undergone the editorial process where we might say, sure, Moses orally dictated this tradition or that in this experience of the Exodus out of Egypt, others orally transmitted this tradition and that generation after generation was faithful in orally transmitting this tradition and then at some point it was written down, there was an editorial process and someone decided, okay, we need to write this down. Again, even in the Jewish tradition, right, there is the idea that you do have the written you have the written Torah and you have the oral Torah. So the, the idea is already there in terms of of the relationship between what's spoken and what's written and how it's transmitted.
1: Hypothesis uh, that I, which a lot of scholars agree with, is that like there's other books like of so Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First uh, Samuel, um and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Yeah. So those books are biggeristic histories and they all have like a similar like language and structure and things like that, and so that's why they pair them together and they they date it to either exile or post exile. Um, and kind of as a re not like a complete rewriting, but like now we're exiled, why are we here? And you go back and you look at the law, why how did we not fulfill this? And then like it's almost like a theological not Well, I it's guess agenda, but yeah, it's like how do we make sense of the situation we find ourselves in, and like this is how, and this is how
2: we'll know. There's a great article that I read uh, this morning actually that, that talks about the, the books that you just mentioned, plus books of the Torah, and, and t- trying to separate that out and, and give that context. Um, actually, I, I saved it in case anybody else, I was going to say if anybody else wanted to read it, it gives a great overview of, of that specific conversation.
0: Let's take Exodus for an example, because that's one that, like, you think, okay, here's a book of history. So when you look at a book like Exodus, do you think, in your mind, as you look at it, Moses wrote this book and it was done, or Moses wrote this book, other people edited it over time, or this book was carried orally for a long time and eventually written down. Do you fall in any of those camps?
2: I think for me, and just on the different reading and the different research I've done, and the different professors that I've worked with, for me there's some consensus that the vast majority of the, of the books of the Hebrew Bible existed for a long period of time in an oral tradition. And at some point, or even along the way, were written down periodically, but that it's unlikely that Moses wrote anything down. I don't even really know when Moses would have the time to do that. And and taking that kind of question out of it, there's no reason to say that Moses not writing the 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 Torah does anything bad to the tradition per se. It's not like it suddenly, well, now we just can't believe this. I mean, it, it could be the case that the fact that it's ascribed to Moses is just a tradition.
1: Isn't there? I mean, the only pushback, at least, be I, mean, I can think of a couple passage in the Pentateuch where it says Moses wrote these things down, right? I mean, like, it it, it describes that after
0: the Sinai scene. Actually, you know what? It's not just there, and I want to bring up these verses into the discussion right now real fast, because the thing that creates this problem in the church is, specifically about the Pentateuch, is Jesus' words about it. And this goes to a question that somebody asked, what does it mean for somebody to author a book in the ancient Near East? And I, I think that's a very key question, because if you look at this, for example, Here's a couple of verses where Jesus is talking about this. Like, for example, in Mark 12, 26, he's talking to them saying about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jesus seemed to be referring to it as the book of Moses. But see, by itself, does that mean that Moses must have written it? Another verse in John 5, starting in verse 45, the second part of it, your accuser is Moses. He's speaking to the Pharisees who are upset that he's just healed a blind man. On whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you to believe what I say? Again, Mark 12, Sadducees question Jesus by asking, Moses wrote for us that, and they begin the question about divorce. Jesus doesn't correct their assertion. Um, Jesus in Luke twenty four twenty seven and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Um, Luke twenty four forty four. this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. There's an example where Jesus is citing all three, the prophets, and the law, and the Psalms, but he seems to be telling, like, somehow attributing this to Moses. I'll just take the one from John 5:46 again. If you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Just that statement by itself. By the way, a number of Old Testament books, Joshua 1:17, I'm sorry, 17, 1 Kings 2:3, 2, 2 Kings 14:6, Chronicles 22:13, Ezra 3:2, I can go on and on, there're just numerous places where they seem to refer it as something that Moses wrote. But that's the question that I want to delve into for a moment. The question on the card would is what does it mean for someone to author it? Could that statement be true? If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Could that statement still be true that he wrote without it actually being something he physically wrote down? If you believe
2: that the vast majority of the Hebrew Bible, and again, I'm not arguing this necessarily, but if it's true that you believe that the vast majority of the Hebrew Bible is written much later, then it shouldn't come as any surprise that it refers to, to itself in this way, it shouldn't surprise us that its transmission would be consistent in preserving the tradition it comes out of. I mean, that, that that wouldn't be shocking. But that that's probably not the best way that I respond to that. I think for me the question is, what does it actually say Moses wrote? Because that might mean something else in the ancient Near East, especially since even to this day. If, if you're Jewish and if you're a Jewish male and you're learning the Torah the first thing you do is memorize it right the first thing you do is you participate in the oral tradition not in the written tradition so if you you know if you go back all the way through the entire history of Judaism and then uh, you go back into the the ancient history of Israel even before King David and King Solomon the predominant mode in which a story would have been transmitted would have been an oral tradition. So whether or not to say that that's what he mean by saying Moses wrote it, in other words, Moses wrote it or Moses spoke it, or that Moses spoke it and it was written. This is true especially of cultures in the ancient Near East and Mesopotamia. What was trusted was the oral tradition. What was not trusted was the written word. The opposite is, in fact, true in many other, uh, like in, in Greek culture, for example, where you actually have a reversal. At least in those verses, like if this is a tradition, like that Moses wrote it, regardless of whether it's true or not, like wouldn't it still be right for Jesus to refer to it, saying, "Well, Moses wrote these things," because, like, or if, what Moses wrote, because they know what he's talking about, even if Moses didn't actually write it. And I feel like it's like just
1: saying Jesus said that. Well. That's because everybody said that. And it doesn't necessarily add validity to it or mean like, well, because Jesus said something, that means it must be absolutely true as much as,
2: no, he's talking about these are the things that Moses wrote, so what they understand Moses wrote.
1: Well, also it's kind because we see, like, well, Jesus said this, but then we don't have anything Jesus wrote. Like, we're just using someone else's text, you know, what Mark or the author of Mark said about what Jesus said.
0: Let me let me address the first question first, and then you can maybe address the second. one. I think the reason it's become an issue is because these verses. People look at it from the lens of the church. They're looking at saying Jesus is God. Whether he had all knowledge while he was incarnate is subject to debate. But that he doesn't seem to have ever made a mistake. So if you're putting it in a position where you're saying Jesus repeatedly. Fell for it, or made the same mistake, or believed in the same tradition, which isn't really true. You might say I'm okay with that, but for the vast majority of at least Protestants who are of a more conservative bent, that wigs them out. That Jesus wouldn't know that Moses didn't write it. That he should know all of that stuff. He should know. In fact, some people, if you look at the defense of this, say Jesus has perfect knowledge and he knows everything, and there's no way he would make a mistake. Even following a tradition, he would have corrected. And what Brittany tacked on is an interesting thing. We don't actually have Jesus writing that with his own hand saying that. So we're back to the problem you raised earlier, which is now we have to look at how reliable are the New Testament documents and what they record about what Jesus said. I still think it's possible that if you look at this verse in John chapter 5 about Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. You know, I still think there's some question about what it means to write something. I mean, I still think that that could be open. I know there's some people who close the door on that and say, no, Jesus knows what he's talking about, and he means written, like with somebody's hand. And by the way, I don't think that it's improbable that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. In fact, I probably support the idea. But I would still have to say that some of the things that Jeremy's bringing out about the tradition and how it may have changed or even been edited or something along the way is something we need to explore further, but not in this series. Because, as I said earlier, if we get to the point where Jesus has looked at a fairly solidified canon of the Old Testament and he kind of sweepingly approves of it, we kind of get off the hook of doing a lot of that. Now, it doesn't mean that scholars don't do that work or they shouldn't discover the original text. I'm just saying that for our purposes, because we just can't go into it so deeply, people spend their whole lives doing this, we can at least feel, okay, we've at least come to a point where we think we at least understand a little bit better about how it got here, because even if you accept those late dates for the Pentateuch, they still predate Jesus's approval of them in the Gospels. All right, so I want to kind of leave it there. You want to add something? I was just going to say, yeah. I mean,
2: I've intentionally tried to leave the kind of interpretive questions out of it, just to show that at least in the ancient world, what was what went on, whether it was something that was orally transmitted or something that was that was uh, transmitted in a written form, that that changes. Occurred Again, we're not, I don't want to talk about the changes, so hopefully that's not what the conversation has gone. Cutting off the interpreter questions, the other questions about, was this really written when we thought it was? Was it really written by the person we thought it was? And then the third question is, does that really matter? Or you know, does that change how we interpret? That, that's a separate question.
0: Let me close us in prayer next week. We're going to look at some of the New Testament documents. Let's pray and honor God. Lord, as I've been pouring over all these things that I've been studying, I'll confess openly I've had the temptation to just run away, just not do this, just set it aside as with a lot of our more difficult series to just say, let's just sing and praise you and set it all aside. But Lord, you've never called this group to do the easy thing, and I think that's to deepen our faith and to help other people. Holy Spirit, I believe that you are the one that superintended the writing of these scriptures. I believe that you are the one that preserved them over the centuries. And Holy Spirit, I believe that you are the one that illuminates them for us now. So transform this series from something that's just a bunch of information that's being transmitted. Do something that I can't do. Make us come alive to love your word. Make us come alive to want to read and study and learn more from your word. Make it leap off the page, Lord. Just as these words were inspired, illuminate them for us now. Give us understanding. Give us a fresh look. I can't do that, Lord. But I pray in faith because I know you can. pray this in your name. Amen.